Hello, this is Daryl Bloodworth of the Episcopal Church of the Good Shepherd in Maitland, Florida. This is Lesson 10 of our study of the Gospel of John, and we're in Chapter 9. And we'll begin by verses 1 through 5. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. It's unclear when the events of this chapter occur. They may have occurred soon after the events of chapter 8 or sometime later. However, we do know that Jesus was still in Jerusalem because that's where the pool of Siloam was. Jesus sees the blind man and learns that he has been blind from birth. Now, this is the only example in the Gospels of Jesus healing someone stricken from birth. The fact he was born blind leads the disciples to ask an interesting question. Whose sin was it that caused the man to be born blind? It seems a strange question, because if it were the man's sin, he would have had to sin before he was born, because he was born blind. In fact, there was some rabbinic teaching that suggested a person could actually sin in the womb, although there is no good support for that in Scripture. The alternative is that perhaps the parents sinned, and the consequences of their sin was visited on the son. For this idea, there is some biblical support. The sins of the fathers are said to lead to punishment as far as the third or fourth generation, as expressed in the 20th chapter of Exodus. But note also in Exodus chapter 20 that God promises steadfast love to the thousandth generation for those who love him and keep his commandments. Now, this warning was given by God to lead us to understand the far-reaching consequences of sin. Tragically, most of us, when thinking about sinful behavior, only consider the consequences to ourselves without considering the consequences to others, not least our own family members. The disciples' question arose out of the general belief that all punishment, including sickness, comes from sin. Well, Jesus ignores the question of whether the sin comes from the man himself or from his parents and points out that in this case, at least, it comes from neither. Rather, it was an opportunity to demonstrate the power of God. We will see this point again when Jesus raises Lazarus from the grave. Another instance of Jesus' teaching on the connection between sin and punishment is found in Luke chapter 13. Jesus was asked by some of his followers from Galilee about other Galileans being slaughtered by Pontius Pilate, the Roman procurator, as they were in the middle of offering sacrifices. They asked what sin was committed to cause such punishment to fall on them. Jesus' response was that those Galileans were no worse sinners than anyone else. I think what Jesus is saying is that there is such a thing as innocent suffering. Yes, some illness or suffering can be the result of sin, but we should not automatically assume that all illness or suffering is the result of sin. With this man, Jesus says, the man was born blind so that God's works could be revealed in him. And Jesus went on to say that we must do God's work in the world while it is day. 
he points out that the time will come when no one can work, apparently referring to Judgment Day. While he is in the world, Jesus is the light of the world, and he intends to heal the man. Let's continue on now with verses 6 through 12. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it's someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, Then how were your eyes open? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. So, Jesus proceeds to heal the man in an unusual fashion. He spits on the ground to make mud and then spreads the mud on the man's eyes, telling him to go to the pool of Siloam and wash the mud off. He did so and then returned, able to see. This method of healing may seem strange to us, but there were reasons for it. First, using spittle to heal was not uncommon at that time. Many believed there was healing power in the spittle of a righteous man. But perhaps a better explanation is that Jesus is using this occasion to once again point out to the Pharisees the error of their ways. Later in this chapter, John points out that the day this occurred was a Sabbath, and making mud was considered work pursuant to their oral tradition. So making spittle was prohibited on the Sabbath because it might even accidentally make mud. In any event, the man was healed, which was considered work. So when the man returned, he created quite a stir. He was a beggar, and those who knew him were confused. Some were amazed that he is now able to see. Others were denying this was the formerly blind man, saying he just looked like the blind man. He kept saying, yes, it's me. So then they want to know how it happened, and he tells them exactly what happened. Then they want to know where Jesus is probably hoping Jesus could do something similar for them or perform some other miracle for him. Of course, he doesn't know. He's never seen Jesus yet. When he left to go to the pool of Siloam, he was blind. And when he returned, Jesus wasn't there. Let's let's pick up now with verses 13 through 17. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, He is a prophet. Of course, with such a stunning event occurring, and on the Sabbath at that, the Pharisees open another investigation, and the formerly blind man is taken to them. 
They ask him how he received his sight, and he tells the story once more. The, res- re- the response from the Pharisees is consistent with their past actions. Some of them say Jesus cannot be from God because he does not observe the Sabbath, referring to Jesus doing what they called work by making mud and healing the man on the Sabbath, which they cons- uh, consider to violate their oral law. But others of the Pharisees ask, how can a sinner perform such signs? They can't reconcile this among themselves, so they ask the man who was healed, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. Well, not surprisingly, the man who was healed has a very positive view of Jesus and says, he's a prophet. Again, the Pharisees, or most of them, were unable to even consider that their view of God's law and its purpose may be wrong. They were sick spiritually and weren't even aware of it. They preferred that the man remain blind rather than be healed if the healing was to take place on the Sabbath. Let's continue on now with verses 18 through 23. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So by now the Pharisees are frustrated. Their investigation is not going as they hoped. So they recall the healed man yet again to testify. Their address to him is telling. Their statement to him, give glory to God, is the equivalent in our day of a court telling a witness to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Then they follow up with the statement, we know this man is a sinner. So clearly this is no longer an inquiry after the truth. They've already passed judgment on Jesus, and they're urging the man to join in their condemnation of him. But this man was a man of integrity. He stuck to the truth and what he knew. And in his simplicity, he gave the most beautiful testimony one can give about Jesus. This I know. Once I was blind, but now I see. So the frustration of the Pharisees is now palpable. They ask yet again how this healing occurred, namely how Jesus made the mud. By now the man is also frustrated, but he responds with humor. And in his own way, he mocks the Pharisees. He says, I've already told you, but you won't listen. Do you really want to hear it again? Do you also want to become one of his disciples? At this point, the Pharisees abandon all pretension of seeking the truth and turn to insult. They say, you are his disciple. We are disciples of Moses. As to this man, Jesus, we don't even know where he's from. Now, that's an interesting comment since they clearly know Jesus is from Galilee. This is really a backhand way of saying Jesus was from Satan. That's the man himself who proclaims spiritual truth. This is astonishing. You claim you don't know where he comes from, but he opened my eyes. 
We know God doesn't listen to sinners, but he does listen to those who worship and obey him. Never has anyone opened the eyes of one born blind. If Jesus were not from God, he couldn't do this. His simple reasoning was spot on, and the Pharisees don't even attempt to refute it on the merits. Again, they resort to insult, telling him he was born in sin, perhaps suggesting pre-birth sin, and then say, and yet you think you can teach us? And then, according to John, they drove him out. What this means is he was banned from the synagogue and from most of Jewish life, which was a terrible punishment for any Jew. This is a reminder to us that there is a cost to discipleship in the Christian life. This man will suffer for proclaiming what Jesus did for him. But the benefit of knowing and being healed by Jesus was so much greater than the price he paid. Let's continue on with verses 35 through 41. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say, We see, your sin remains. Jesus learns that the man had been banned and went looking for him because Jesus knew how serious this was. He was the good shepherd going after the lost sheep. Although the man has recognized that Jesus was from God, he still does not fully understand who Jesus is. In fact, until Jesus finds him, he had never actually seen Jesus. Remember, he was blind when Jesus put the mud on his eyes. When he finds him, Jesus asks, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Or as some uh, versions say, Do you believe in the Son of God? The man still doesn't quite understand and asks Jesus to tell him who the Son of God is so he can believe in him. And just as Jesus told the woman at the well, he tells this man, I am he. Again, this man's spiritual insight is profound. He says, Lord, I believe. And he worships Jesus. Note the progression in his view of Jesus. He originally told the Pharisees a man put mud on his eyes and healed him. Upon further questioning, he said he believed Jesus was a prophet. Now he proclaims Jesus Lord and worships him. In verses 39 to 41, Jesus says he has come into the world for judgment. Note he does not say that he has come to judge the world. He is saying that he has come to reveal the truth so that people may judge what is true and what is not. Because of him, those who were blind to spiritual matters may understand what is true spiritually. But those who think they already know the truth about spiritual matters will be revealed as blind. 
This statement did not pass over the heads of the Pharisees. They knew he was talking about them. And they asked, surely you don't think we're blind, do you? Jesus' response is that your problem is that you think you know all truth when you don't. Because you think you are spiritually pure, your sin remains. This chapter, as much as any in the Gospels, is a powerful story of Jesus' amazing grace and compassion. The healed man's faith and courage is inspiring, but the conflict with the Jewish leaders continues to grow. In the next lesson, we'll take up chapter 10.